0: This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Billy Bear's Diner. Billy Bear, we've got the best goddamned pancakes in the world. Pod Cemetery is also made possible by the generous support of listeners like you over at patreon.com slash Pod Cemetery. Hello, my name is Chris.
1: My name is Kelsey.
0: And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's a Patron's Choice Week here on Pod Cemetery with creepy bromances as we watch 1986's Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer and 2014's Creep.
1: It wasn't Creep recommended to us.
0: Yes, by Mr. Minifig, or uh, Jeff Crevier, Jeffrey Crevier. Uh, Thank you very much for the recommendation, actually. Um, This is probably one we were going to watch anyway, but obviously, uh, if our patrons request it, we're much more likely to do it than not. So there is that.
1: Well, he recommended it, and then we put it up with a list of movies for our patrons to choose from, and they chose. Yes, yes. The most people chose that, although
0: this was a pretty divisive one. Yeah, the votes Everybody were spread chose across ones. the board on this one. Uh, if you would like to, you know, take a look at what we're presenting as potential episodes and cast your vote as well, make sure you're backing us over on patreoncom podcemetery Well, let's get started right away with Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer from 1986 written by Richard Fire and John McNaughton and directed by John McNaughton. John McNaughton was working with the Ali brothers, uh, Waleed B. Ali and Malik B. Ali. They had done a documentary called Dealers in Death, Murder and Mayhem in America about organized crime in Chicago. And they were going to do another documentary about wrestling, like professional wrestling. And then that fell through. And they said, uh, the Ali brothers were like, you know what's really hot right now are horror movies. Why don't you just make us a horror movie? And so he did. And they were very, very unimpressed by what he actually produced. Oh, wow. And they ended up shelving it for a while. And it wasn't until somebody else came by and had a chance to watch it and was like, you should actually release this. And so they ended up doing that. And it's pretty well received, I would say, starring Michael Rooker, Tracy Arnold, and Tom Tolles. This is actually one of those movies. You know how we talk about, like, Temple of Doom as being, like, the reason that PG-13 exists and other such movies around that time? It's not the first one. Uh, there's, like, a different movie that was first to be rated that, a different movie that was first to be released with that. But, like, it was it was Spielberg who was like, uh, this is not PG, but it's not R either. We need a new rating. And so they created one. This is the same sort of thing. Uh, It was going to be rated X, and the MPAA told them that there is literally nothing you could do to this movie to make it an R. Just the nature of what it is. It is too intense and too fucked up for an R rating. But X was reserved for, like, more sexual... Movies, you know, Mm -hmm. like porn. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so they ended up creating NC-17.
1: For this movie. For this
0: movie, uh, Peter Greenaway's The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover, and Pedro Almodovar's Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down
1: Mm.
0: were the first movies to get NC-17. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, this is a pretty fucked up movie. Kelsey, what
1: is it about? I mean, it's in the title. It's it's basically, I mean, it's not... A documentary, but it's practically a documentary. It
0: was going to be filmed like it was a documentary. Like, that That was what it was going to be. Uh, like a proto-Man Bites Dog.
1: It is Man Bites Dog. Well, I mean, Man, Man Bites, Bites Dog, Dog is, is it. Is. Yeah, yes. what,
0: what if it was actually filmed like a documentary and also had more comedy? Man Bites Dog has comedic elements. This absolutely does not. Right. But it was going to be filmed that way. But then they lost their director of photography, and when they got a new director of photography, him and uh, John McNaughton, who wrote and directed the movie, were decided against it, and they wanted, like, static shots. They wanted stationary cameras make it serious, and that's what they ended up doing. So when you say it's like a documentary, it was originally going to be.
1: Well, yeah. It's just, you know, following a serial killer around and showing you what his life might be like. If you got to actually meet this person, and yeah, it is basically Man Bites Dog, just a little, like, you know, not as funny, although Man Bites Dog.
0: Right, it's pretty fucked up. I
1: don't really like, I don't like that it's considered a comedy, I understand why. Well, it has comedic elements. Yes, but I, it's not a comedy, so.
0: Right, no, it is very, like, all the trigger warnings You know what I mean? Like this is this is a very fucked up movie, but it handles its subject matter very seriously. And it like we say, this is sort of like the creepy bromance week. It is about him sort of being friends with another ex-con and sort of teaching him how to be a killer. That's sort of what the main thrust of the movie is.
1: Which you know is basically what Man Bite's Dog is. Right,
0: but he's in Man Bite's Dog, he's more telling a film crew how he is, and not necessarily is he like a mentor to them. Whereas in this, Henry is sort of a mentor to Otis in a way. The movie is available with ads on Peacock, Roku, Voodoo, Redbox, and Free V with subs on AMC Plus, Criterion, Shutter, and Arrow. You can rent it for four dollars, but it's only three dollars on Alamo on Demand. And you can buy it for $10 on Apple, Amazon, and Alamo On Demand, and only $8 on Microsoft. Kelsey, should people watch Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer?
1: I think it's a good movie, but I would not recommend watching this. It's not a good time. I get it. it. There's no redeeming qualities here. This is just a... Trudge just through just
0: a terrible time. Yes, yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Um, but it's very good. It's but incredibly I, well made. I would not <laughs> recommend watching it, no. It is
0: very, very well made. I would say these are some pretty great instincts for a first time dramatic film director. He did some pretty neat stuff, I think, with this movie for having never done it before. And also for being told to just like make a horror movie. The movie is not that gory or bloody, although there are obviously moments.
1: Right. It's more conceptual. Yeah, it's extremely violent without being extremely violent. There is one scene that is pretty violent, but for the most part, it's implied violence, which is enough. You know, just like it was enough in Texas Chainsaw Massacre.
0: Yeah, it has that sort of violent feel to it.
1: Except that in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that made it tolerable. This movie is still not tolerable.
0: because yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre was mostly sort of bloodless. This isn't bloodless. Um, you see a lot of the aftermath and that's how they handle it, but the way it's framed is very uh, interesting. There are definitely murders that you see on screen and uh, there's a lot of callous violence in the movie still, despite the fact that it's not like necessarily all that gory. But again, there are moments of that too. Um, And there's definitely rape and incest and just, like, seriously all of the content warnings. But if you're okay for that and you're the type of person who's just sort of down to see a a really well-made but incredibly dour, like, depressing movie, I would recommend it. But, yeah, it's a hard one to say, yeah, you should watch this. There are a select number of people that I would say that to. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1986's Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer.
2: Did you really kill your mama? What? Did you really kill your mama? I guess I did. She must have treated you real bad.
1: She was a whore.
2: You used to dance naked? Sure, all the time around, huh? Otis. Best little naked dancer you ever saw. You never.
0: You telling me you never killed anybody before? I ain't saying that.
1: Open your eyes, Otis. Look at the world. It's either you or them.
2: Otis, she's your sister.
1: I feel like I know you.
2: Like like I've known you for a long time. I feel like I've known you forever and ever. It's like the blood droppings from a deer you shot. And all they gotta do is follow those droppings, and uh, pretty soon they're gonna find that deer. I ain't
1: interrupting.
2: see it
0: again. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Henry begin?
1: I don't know that we need to go through (laughs) every scene of this movie. We pretty much did that with Man Bites Dog, and there's a whole lot of that here. Fair enough. Can we just talk about the highlights of the film?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, we could talk right away about one of the immediate highlights. It's the very beginning of the movie.
1: The shots.
0: Yeah. So we get sort of Michael Rooker, who, by the way, apparently, I don't know, I wasn't able to validate this, but apparently was a janitor.
1: This is his first movie role.
0: His first actual film role. Yeah.
1: And damn. Holy shit, Michael right? Rooker isn't just an incredible actor, and it's a shame that all anybody knows him for anymore is I'm um, Mary Poppins. Like that's a really <laughs> big bummer because Michael Rooker is an incredible actor. Well,
0: that you also know him from, of course, The Walking Dead. Uh, he's pretty popular for, but I mean, really, the first thing I ever saw Michael Rooker in was Mallrats,
1: <laughs> where you get to see
0: his ass, gross. and he eats the ass gross, pretzels. Gross, gross, gross.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gross. No, but all anybody knows him for now is Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, I have nothing wrong with superhero movies. I was really disappointed the other day. I read a quote by Leonardo DiCaprio that he gave to Timothy Chalamet. Uh huh. He gave him two things not to do. I don't remember what the first one was, but the second one was no superhero movies. And I was like, wow. Yeah. That's really insensitive, Leo. Uh-huh. Like I don't have a problem with talented actors wanting to make that money.
0: Right, get that money,
1: make that money, so that you can do all the artsy stuff you uh-huh. want to do.
0: Totally, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, but I mean, you don't want to be pigeonholed. You don't want to be tied into a contract for right. twenty years. You know what,
1: Leo? We can't all have a Titanic. Right? We can't exactly. all have a Titanic to uh, to fall back on? Okay. <laughs> Really disappointed,
0: you guys don't understand just how much Kelsey loves Leonardo DiCaprio, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. So, he showed up with his like janitor's uniform, like that's what he wore in the movie, uh, was his own uniform. And apparently, he was also very method, which I mean, we've been vocal about in the past. Sure, it might add to your performance. But it's totally unnecessary and feels like a crutch. Like, if you need to be method, like, outside of the shot, and what we traditionally understand as method, like, I don't know. It's a it's bad working conditions, number one. Like, people would say, oh, I had no idea if, on any given day during filming if I was talking to Michael or talking to Henry. It's like... <sighs> They kept him completely separate. He had his own dressing room. Nobody ever it's saw him when he wasn't on only, set.
1: it's only roles like this that I kind of understand. It must be really difficult to get to this level. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. So like I kind of understand that you would need to be stuck in that otherwise well, Like I said, it would I can see how it helps. To, yeah, but like yeah, it's not healthy. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah, it's really not good working conditions for the rest of the people. But, like, then you talk about, well, what about, like, when Tim Curry refused to hang out with the kids in this filming of It so that they would have this element of fear about him? Sure.
0: I think there's a different element when you're dealing with children, though. (laughs) You know? I mean, that's different, I would say. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, yes. So what I wanted to talk about here were these shots. We just sort of see him go about his day. And that's intercut. With the aftermath of these murders, these still moments, the camera isn't still, but everything in the shot is perfectly motionless because we just get murder victims and we hear the audio of the murder happening over the top of the still shots.
1: It's very effective. It's
0: very good. And again, it's intercut with Henry just being a normal dude.
1: Yeah, he's very good at being perfectly normal, perfectly charming. The only time he ever gets uncomfortable is if a woman comes on to him, and that's very rare. So right. he's doing just fine.
0: It's, we should probably say that Henry is, in fact, based on a real serial killer, Henry Lee Lucas, who very famously admitted to every single unsolved murder they put in front of him. Uh, and of course, almost none of those were actually true. Uh, they only convicted him of so many. And even still, I'm not even sure the authorities are even certain he did all of those. Uh, But they were able to get their convictions. He did, in fact, we'll find out later that um, his dad lost his legs. That did happen to Henry Lee Lucas. That his mom was a sex worker who forced him to watch and would put him in dresses. That did happen to Henry Lee Lucas. And a couple of these murder victims that we're going to see here are set up to resemble real murder victims of Henry Lee Lucas or the ones he admitted to.
1: Well, again, let's be clear. This is all what he said happened to him. And just like the film portrays, you can't really believe anything he tells Mm -hmm. you. You have no idea what was true and what was not true. Even this character, Henry, cannot remember how he killed his mother.
2: Yeah. I killed my mama. One
0: night, it was my 14th birthday. She
1: was drunk. We had an argument. She hit me with a whiskey bottle. I
2: shot her. I shot her dead.
1: I thought you said you stabbed her.
2: Oh yeah. That's right stabbed.
1: Which then makes the question of, did he even do it? Yeah. So, I mean, that's supposedly what he was sent to jail for, but again, that's just what he told Otis. Yeah. So, there's really no way of knowing anything. We only know what the camera tells us, and that, and in real life, we'll never know.
0: Yeah. And this sort of montage ends with him picking up a woman with a guitar case, we do Don't necessarily, unless she's one of the earlier bodies that we see or a body we see later on in the movie, we don't immediately find out what happens to this woman other than the fact that when he gets home to where he's staying with Otis, who they were in prison together, uh, he brings home a guitar.
2: Howdy. Hey, I brought you a present.
0: Where did you get that? Picked it up. So, like, it's really compelling Well done stuff, and you know me, I love a patient film. This is a very patient film.
1: I think, just like most films, most films about serial killers, either the male killer has a sexual reason to kill males, or they kill females. Yeah. mm -hmm. That's absolutely here.
0: When it comes to serial killers we're talking about.
1: Right. But... That that's what's kind of cool about creep. I like that it's not a male killer look looking for females to kill. It's actually about a male killer looking for men to kill, and it has no sexual nature at all. So I think that's really interesting. Right, about it's that.
0: more about male bonding and straight male relationships.
1: But what's interesting about this one is that Henry kind of develops a real relationship with a woman. Who, you know, she's super damaged from her father sexually abusing her, her mother not caring, her brother obviously also sexually abusing her. So, like, there's a reason that she would be attracted to someone like Henry. Yeah,
0: you get that right away. Like, immediately she's attracted to Henry and you're like, yeah, I understand that. (laughs) I I see how that would happen.
1: Right, but... Henry does genuinely seem to like her and does uh-huh. genuinely not want to hurt her. Which, you know, you've seen that element before. We saw that with American Psycho. hmm What was the other movie that we just saw that we were comparing to American Psycho for that same reason?
0: Hatchet for the Honeymoon was, very, was the last movie we compared to American Psycho. Or rather, we compared American Psycho to it.
1: Oh, right. He doesn't want to hurt the young girl, but then he's willing to in the end. Just like in this, he's willing to in the end, except for in Hatchet for the Honeymoon, she was a cop.
0: Right, yeah, she was an undercover cop.
1: Whereas in this one, (laughs) she is not a cop and she is going to be murdered. Or she
0: was working for the cops. I don't know if she was a cop. Either way, yeah, she was undercover. So we have our relationships here, right? We have Otis, who went to prison, what, for drugs? Something like that might be a a violent assault or robbery or something like that. As far as I know, it's not murder. But he was friends with Henry in prison, and Henry got out first. When Otis got out, Henry was looking for a place to live, and Otis let him live with him. We also have Otis's little sister, Becky, who's leaving an abusive relationship, had to leave her daughter, Lurlane, at home with their mom to... Get away to Chicago and spend some time with her brother so she can make some money, bring Lurleen to her, and just get away from that environment. And they're all sort of living together in this apartment.
1: But while there, she's going to get a job at a beauty parlor as a shampoo girl. And while there, she's going to hear all these horror stories about Chicago. And then she's going to realize, you know what, I actually want to go back.
0: Yeah, as much money as I can make here, it costs too much to live here. And she, the way she describes it, is that Lurline would get lost here.
1: There's just too much going on up here. She'd get lost.
0: So it's better if I just go back and deal with everything.
1: The relationship he has with Otis is also very strange. It's, it's. I guess it's as close to a friendship as he can get. Right, it's
0: genuine. Like um, they're friends,
1: but he also is not afraid to be like, Hey, stop what you're doing if he doesn't like what he's doing. Yeah,
0: Otis is a little bit creepy. He makes lewd jokes at people. He sold drugs to a high school boy and grabbed his leg uh, when uh, they were sampling the product, uh, at which point the guy punched him in the face. Um,
1: right. And Henry is the only smart one who's like, You can't kill him. People have seen
0: you two together, right? Yeah, you idiot. exactly. And he will at one point grab his sister and Henry, no hesitation, grabs Otis by the back of his head, by his hair, and says, don't fucking do that. She's your sister.
2: Don't do that, Otis. She's your sister. Okay, I was only kidding around, Henry. Tell her you're sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. Now tell her you won't do it again. I won't. I I swear, Becky, I swear I won't. Ow! Shit, Henry. Serves you right. Thank you, Henry.
0: It's all right. Like, no, off limits. Like, I don't care if we are friends. I am not going to let you do that. And Otis has to be like, okay, God, calm down. And then they end up just going out together anyway after that.
1: Yeah. And Otis is a weird character because, like, at first he's all weirded out about killing, but then he's into it.
0: Oh, yeah. So they go out that night after that incident and they pick up. Some sex workers off the street, and oh, it's a great moment! So like there's this whole montage of them, a small short montage of them driving around town and then they go to pick up these sex workers they're speaking to in their car and they're on the street uh, and there's this music playing and then as soon as they get in Otis's car and the door closes, that exact moment the montage music ends and it goes to this sort of quiet spooky music like it's very compelling audio storytelling uh, and so they go to a an alley where they are having sex and One's in the front seat. One pair is in the front seat. One pair is in the back seat. And in the back seat, Henry will snap the neck of the woman, and Otis for will kind way of freak to out. Do. Oh yeah, I no, they they are. It's just like eighties movie style neck snapping. Just you just kind of move your hands like this, and they're dead, right? <laughs> um. So he snaps her neck, and when the other woman sees it, she starts panicking, and Henry will reach out and snap her neck as she's screaming. And just to see Otis's eyes, like they're just bugged out, like, holy shit, what the fuck did you just do? But we know what we're in a moment. We need to clean this up. We are fucked if we don't deal with this. So Henry has sort of an opportunity to ease Otis into this because he knows Otis needs to be calm and fix this situation. And he's going to sort of ease him into it throughout that process as they dispose of the bodies. It's compelling stuff. Something similar happens later on, which, when Otis dies, that Henry does with Becky.
1: Yeah, so Otis is going to full-on rape his sister, and that is when Henry is going to come in and kill him, to which Becky's going to freak out, which, I don't
0: know, whatever. He stops him, Otis then tries to kill Henry... And he says, adios, motherfucker, or something like that. He's about to stab Henry, and Becky stabs him in the eye. Adios,
2: motherfucker. Ah!
1: Ah! 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 Ah!
0: This right here is the most violence you get in the whole entire fucking movie. You get some stabbings, like they stab the TV guy.
1: Well, they full-on put a TV on a guy's head. Otis? Plug it in.
0: There is sort of like action violence in that way, but this is like you get a close-up of this prosthetic head getting stabbed in the eye, and then... He freaks out, and he's panicking, and he's screaming, and while that's happening, Henry kills him. Uh, And then he chops his head off, and he chops up his his body up into little pieces, and you hear all the squelching noises and all of that stuff that he does in the bathroom. And he's going to now have an opportunity, because now both of them need to clean up this Otis business. He's going to ease Becky into accepting that this happened.
1: Well, he's going to kill her right away. Yes,
0: but that's also implied, too. So by the end of the movie...
1: She's just not there anymore. She's just she's not, not there anymore. She's obviously dead. Yeah. Oh, and he drops off a bleeding box. So yes. yeah, you know it, that she's dead too. It's
0: literally a suitcase. Like, you know uh, you know how suits are stored? You, you unfold this thing, you open it up, you unzip it, you put your suits in there, you zip it closed, and then you fold it in half and latch it together. Like that's how su- actual literal suitcases are. Yeah, that's sort of left on the side of the road as he drives off, the camera stays on the suitcase and it zooms in, and then there's blood everywhere. And so it's it's very clear that that is Becky. But the fact of the matter is, Henry's by himself at the end of the movie.
1: Yeah. She's gone.
0: And Michael Rooker said in an interview that, like, oh, yeah, that's her. <laughs> so as far as he's concerned, and he, quote unquote, is Henry, that's what he was thinking when they filmed that, is that he had killed her and left her body behind. Yeah. She was a liability.
1: Yeah, but I wish that they'd I don't know, maybe explored his feelings about that, but maybe the point is is that he didn't have or that you emotions not know what those feelings her. were.
0: No, I think he did. You get that whole scene where, you know, he's cleaning up. The famously, like that's the scene you see of him looking at himself in the mirror. Like that is in between that's when they get the motel and he drops get. her body off. That's the that's all you're gonna get out of Henry.
1: Yeah. But I think it's excellent. I think it's very well filmed. I think that he does a great job. He is very creepy. I don't really like Otis. He's a little too goofy for me. He, I mean, I know that's part of his character—is that he's just a moron. But like, it's just not very compelling. Whereas Michael Roker is extremely compelling.
0: Well, they're they're different kinds of threats. Like Otis is interestingly almost more terrifying than Henry, whereas Henry's the more accomplished killer, right? Otis is the one that's like cuckoo. True. You never know what he's going to do. And he he tries to do a lot of stuff that Henry has to rein him in. Again, as his mentor has to tell him what's okay and what's not okay. Um, he'll stop him from having sex with one of their victims after they're dead. Which, by the way, another fantastic, powerful scene. They get a camcorder after they kill that TV guy and they film one of their sprees where they kill a family and we watch it all in one in uninterrupted shot of the camera looking at the TV where they are re watching it. Right. And then another cool audio thing. Otis goes back and wants to watch it again. And he's like, what are you doing? He's like, I want to watch it again. And he goes back and he watches it frame by frame. And when he starts that you can hear, cause this is an old school VCR. You can hear it clicking every frame and that click is like a metronome to the soundtrack that's playing at that time. And it's like really effective stuff. This is really cool shit out of this fucking first time filmmaker. I think it's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, I thought it's really well made, but it's not fun to watch in any way. Uh
0: There's also a compelling thing where he's driving with Becky and he asks her if she wants to listen to the radio. And all she can say is that, hey, this night was pretty awful. And then he talks to her about it. He talks about his sister who lives in San Bernardino and raises Arabian horses. And Lurline can come out and stay with us out there. Meanwhile, he had never mentioned having a sister before. All we knew about was his brother who had died. Because he lies a lot. Or he gets confused. We don't know. And then at the end of that conversation, he asks again about the radio. And this time she says yes. Like he's able to calm her down. Just like, wait, we'll get through this, you know. And then she, they turn the radio on, and it's my mistake, where the line is, loving you was my mistake.
1: Because at this point, she says she loves him. Uh-huh. He says, I guess I love you, too. And then she ends up dead. My mistake was loving you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> loving you was my mistake. My mistake was loving you.
0: Uh, we also see Walid B. Ali, one of the Ali brothers that are the producers of this movie, uh, he's the the clerk when Henry leaves to get cigarettes. He says, go bears, and Henry says, fuck the bears. <laughs> That's one of the producers.
2: Hey, how about those bears?
0: Fuck the bears. Okay. I mean, I know we didn't go step by step through this movie, but is there anything else you want to say about Henry's portrait of a serial killer, Kelsey?
1: Again, the acting is superb. It feels real. It. I mean... Just like in Man Bites Dog, it's a little unbelievable how often they just get away with murder in the middle of the day. That's a little unbelievable.
0: Yeah, but I mean, to his, what you're saying, they don't get caught in the moment. Right. He goes on to explain, as he's educating Otis, here's how you don't get caught. You never do the same thing twice, basically. And so you can't establish an M.O. and they won't be able to catch you. And they'll have no idea that it was the same person who did all these different murders, which, I mean, unfortunately is very true. Right. Uh, So there is a reason why they get away with everything, but why they don't get caught in the moment, you know, he just shoots a guy. There's that great line. Do you need need help? I don't know, Otis. guys need any help?
1: Otis, do you need some help or can you do it yourself?
0: And then Otis shoots the guy.
1: Right. (laughs) Oh, oh. Feel better? Yeah. <laughs> <All right. laughs> and it's just like.
0: Oh. Yeah, just broad. Well, not broad daylight. I mean, it is the middle of the night. night. They are under like an elevated I mean, fuck, train or I something. Mean,
1: you know, we have video <laughs> camera. We have camera, like video stuff of people shooting people. We can't find those people. So, yeah. I mean, I guess it's it's just hard to believe that you get you could do it so much. Uh-huh. But what hey, do I it's know? It's
0: Chicago in the 80s. Who knows? Uh, Also, Henry might not be able to read.
1: Yeah, that's implied at one point.
0: Because Becky's wearing a shirt that just says, I heart Chicago. And he's like, what does it say? (laughs) (laughs) It's not exactly hard. Right. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah, so what do you think the movie has on Rotten Tomatoes, Kelsey?
1: I would imagine it's pretty high. I'm going to guess 93 89. 89.
0: Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer is an effective, chilling profile of a killer that is sure to shock and disturb. A Metacritic of 80. Do you think that that is overrated or underrated?
1: 89 is exactly what I was going to give it.
0: Yeah, I was was struggling over high 80s or low 90s. I might just give it a straight 90.
1: There's just nothing fun about this movie. Absolutely not. I will never watch this movie again. It is. I will painful and you would you would you would watch this again but you wouldn't watch Nightcrawler that's crazy to me
0: there's something creepier about Nightcrawler to me there's see like I can feel removed from Henry I can't feel removed from Nightcrawler I don't
1: understand that at all Well
0: part of it is because Nightcrawler makes you sit through all these horrible things that Jake Gyllenhaal's character does you do experience it and you don't experience everything with Henry It's also weird that you kind of root for Henry. You don't ever really root for Jake Gyllenhaal's character. Right. Uh, Anyway, yeah, I think 90. This is a fantastic movie. Yeah. Very, very surprising. Very well made. Highly recommend if you have a strong stomach for this sort of thing. But if you're thinking, I don't know about that, then definitely don't watch it. All right, Kelsey, moving on to our modern film. 2014's Creep, written by Patrick Bryce and Mark Duplass, directed by Patrick Bryce, and starring Patrick Bryce and Mark Duplass because it's just these two guys and one woman's voice on a phone. Uh, it's actually produced by BH Tilt or Blumhouse Tilt, which I had to look up. That is apparently their multi platform arm, so they handle things that don't get like traditional theatrical releases for Blumhouse. What is Creep about?
1: Hey, guy. Is hired to do a job where he spends eight hours filming someone, and he gets $1,000, and he has no idea what he's in for.
0: The movie is available with a subscription to Netflix, but you can also rent it for $4 on Amazon Vudu and Apple, and you can buy it for $10 on those same services. Kelsey, should people watch Creep? Yes. Yeah.
1: I mean, Crip is very good. It's very creepy. Duplass is amazing. I think
0: it's also really good, especially for its time. In 2014, I feel like it was, like, I didn't watch it back then. But it just feels like a movie that would be perfect for that time. You know, it's a, a new twist on a found footage movie. And Mark Duplass, like you say, he is great. I think the first thing I ever saw him in is, I think I had to figure it out. Because I'm like, this is not what I know him from. I know him from The One I Love, which I think came out around this time.
1: Like right after this. It's also yeah. a very good movie. But so is Safety Not Guaranteed, and that came out before this.
0: Yes. Yeah, that was like his big first thing that he did was Safety Not Guaranteed. Mm-hmm. But I think the first thing I ever saw him in was The One I Love. Why do I feel like it has a very similar plot to – Oh, it has a similar story to something that happens in Creep, kind of. Like, the idea of if you have sex with someone you don't know is your husband, or isn't actually your husband, or as far as you're concerned, isn't your husband, is that cheating?
1: Does that What does that have to do with creep?
0: Well, he tells that story. The story that's not real. Right. But he does tell that story.
1: The one I love is a very
0: good movie. It's very interesting. It's a compelling story, I would say. Anyway. You can take our advice or leave it, that advice being, yeah, you should watch Creep. You should watch Creep. When we get back, we will talk about 2014's
2: Creep. So the reason I've hired you is because I have terminal brain cancer and I want you to film me to make a video diary for my unborn son. You ready for this? Okay. Grocer, this is called an adventure. Woohoo! We don't know exactly where we're going, but I have a feeling. When you follow those feelings, great things can happen. Don't ever forget that. Joseph? <laughs> there was about two seconds there where it looked like you wanted to kill me. Joseph, I think I'm gonna head back. Have you see my keys? One drink. Okay. Bottoms up.
1: You need to get out of that house right now.
2: Why do you look scared? Don't be scared. It'll all
0: be over soon. All right, Kelsey, get us started. What do you want to talk about when it comes to Creep?
1: So we start with an introduction by one of the two main characters.
0: Yeah, the only two main characters. And, okay, we'll just say there are only two characters in this movie. There is one other character... And we only hear her voice on one phone call. And that's it. So there's Joseph, who is Mark Duplass.
1: You sure that's how you say his name?
0: Yes, there's two S's. It might be Duplass. But it's not Dupla. Because there are two Duplass. S's. Dupless. Dupless. <laughs> uh, and uh, Patrick Bryce is the director slash the cameraman. That's
1: his name is Patrick? Uh,
0: Aaron is the character's name, sorry.
1: Aaron and Joseph.
0: Joseph, yeah, Joseph with an F, by the way. Joseph, like a Joseph, yeah. <laughs>
1: I just read a book
0: <laughs> with Joseph was a character. Joseph was
1: the Nazi.
0: Yep. Hmm. Good times had by all.
1: <laughs> so Aaron, then he was yeah. the director.
0: He was the director of the movie. Yeah.
1: Okay. That might be why his acting is... Not as good? Not as good. Yeah,
0: for sure. He's also a little sillier. Like, I think his... Because a lot of this stuff is improv It's not just scripts that they memorized. So it's also why his improv is a little bit sillier. Apparently, this is something that they showed friends and... The Friends, like the original cut was like two and a half hours long or something like that. And then they showed it to Friends to just sort of like, okay, what do you think? What are your thoughts? And they latched on to the idea that it was a creepy psychological horror more than that it was a dark comedy. And I think some elements of dark comedy are still here and they just don't hit right.
1: They don't hit as comedy, but I think that that works in its favor.
0: Right, but... In Aaron's case, there's more of that comedy there, like the silliness, the absurdity in some of the things he says. Mm. Some of the stories he tells when he gets his moments that are oh, like, this feels out of place.
1: About like the pissing of his pants? Yeah,
0: thing. and stuff but like, like that. like,
1: I think it's supposed to be that he feels super vulnerable with this guy and then he realizes he shouldn't have been that way. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, it's it, because the, the truth is, is that you never know if people are telling you the truth. And you really can't trust anyone. Right. And it's a scary thought. And I actually think that, again, that works in its favor. It's scary to think that here's this person who has done nothing but lied to you all day. Yeah. And you have no way of knowing that. And And then you just, you feel like, well, they've been so honest with me, I should be honest with them. Yeah. But, like, I feel like everyone has varying degrees of stories, right? And I feel like his is, like... The depths, like, that's something that you tell your significant other after maybe a couple years.
0: Right, yeah.
1: This is not a, sp- like, I think I have a deep story that I might tell someone that I just met that, like, has told me something deep about them. Uh-huh. But it's not that low.
0: Which story in particular are you thinking about? Well, I'm not going to share it here. No, I don't mean your personal one, but from this movie.
1: The story that I'm talking about? Yeah. The peeing of the oh, pants. Oh, the peeing
0: pants story? Okay, yeah. Mm.
1: Anyway, so, he tells the camera all about where he's going and what he's doing. Now, here is that problem, is that if he's that open with the camera, then he's probably been that open with his friends and loved ones. I feel like everyone would know where he's going, what he's doing, and I feel like it would be easy to figure out who did this to him, if anybody cared. And I feel like this guy is such a sweet guy that he would have a lot of friends.
0: I'm not sure the point you're making.
1: My point is Aaron talks to the camera and tells every detail to the camera oh, about yeah, what he's, uh-huh. where he's going and what he's doing. Yeah. Meaning that he's a pretty open guy and he's such a sweet guy, which is the whole point of this film. Uh-huh. He's such a sweet person that I imagine that he has a lot of loved ones. Right. That would... Immediately look into his disappearance Right And they would know all this stuff Plus he contacted the police about him I just feel like I don't think he would get away with it Whereas, Whereas I do somewhat believe that In Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer Because he picks random people That Uh have no way of telling anyone Where they're going or who he is
0: Right Like you know He told somebody where he was going Right You know that I mean, because th- like you say, I don't believe that he doesn't have anybody in his life that he's also telling these things to, not just the camera, like you say, right? So, you know, he told people where he was going. Oh, but it was—it turned out it was a rental. Okay, but how did he get that rental? You yeah, know? he had
1: to have called some the person who owned it. Right. Called them and find out how they got the money uh, from this guy.
0: How did he buy the ad in the newspaper? Yeah. Like, there, we have a picture of him because I don't believe – unfortunately, that Aaron would just throw away that video. Later on, we see that he did, and now Joseph has a co- has that copy.
1: Right, but he has the whole video of their day together. Right,
0: yeah. So, like, you fantastic point. So, like, you have images of him. Yeah. You know, like, you know that he has a sister named right. such and such. Like,
1: like, there, I feel like it would be easy to find this guy. Right,
0: uh-huh. And so that, that's probably the weakest part of yes. the movie. For sure, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. But so he explains, discretion is appreciated, whatever that means. So I guess maybe they're implying that, like, he didn't tell people, but he's telling it to the camera, like...
0: Yeah, uh-huh. And you know that this is for him, because, okay, so the what he's filming is for Joseph, Mark Duplass's character, right? So when he's talking to the camera candidly about his thoughts about Joseph... You know that he's doing something for himself here, too, and not just for Joseph.
1: Yeah, he's obviously going to – he's supposed to edit this.
0: Right, but he's going to keep some content for himself.
1: Yeah, exactly. So – And he's never going to deliver this video to him. So, like, he has all this evidence. It, it just doesn't make sense. Okay. So he explains that he's going to get $1,000 for eight hours for the day Uh-huh. just to film somebody. Yeah. He has no idea what he's going to film. He hopes it is a lonely woman in her 40s. Looking for some hot times. Uh (laughs) What I find interesting about this movie is how many times Aaron could so easily walk away. Yeah. When he shows up, he can't get a hold of Duplass. Uh Uh-huh. So he's just like, what do I do? What do I do? And he sees an axe and he's like, oh, I'm a little bit scared. Well, that's creepy. Right. So he gets into his car and then Duplass like scares him in his car. Uh And I'm like, you have every excuse to go right now.
0: Right. But I, I understand. I mean, the type of guy that they clearly show that Aaron is, he's a benefit of the doubt guy. And so he's willing to give Joseph the benefit of the doubt. He's, he's willing to make excuses for him throughout. And I honestly think that that's kind of who Joseph looks for are these sorts of people. Now, of course, he doesn't have any idea who's going to answer. But, you know, he also doesn't have to actually show up. We know that Joseph watches them first. So maybe there are times where he doesn't choose a person.
1: Right. Maybe he's like, oh, I don't want to fuck with that person. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: So there is a selection process here. So, you know, and, and we hear later on that Aaron is the nicest guy that Joseph has ever met. So... This is a special circumstance. We are seeing the most extreme version of an interaction.
1: So Duplass is just super, super creepy. So there's this scene where he's like doing what he calls a tubby time. Tubby it's time. And so uncomfortable. He's supposed to be... So he claims that he's oh, dying from God. cancer and that this video is for his son that his, his wife is pregnant with. Yeah,
0: cancer in the liver, which spread to the lungs. Chemo worked, and then he started getting dizzy spells and cognitive misfires. And he has a brain tumor the size of a baseball now. And I thought that that was really interesting because my first thought right away is either he's lying about all of this or... Or his weirdness as a result of those cognitive misfires and the brain tumor that he has. We never really get an answer for that. We know, we know he's lying about the kid. He's lying about the wife. Uh, or at least we highly, highly suspect. He because very the person, obviously
1: doesn't have cancer. But the
0: person he says is his wife is actually his sister, right? So we know that he's lying about his familial relationships. We don't necessarily know he's lying about we the We know cancer. that
1: he's been doing this for years. Yes,
0: that's fair. That is fair. But, yes, tubby time. So fucking uncomfortable. So
1: it's supposed to be, like, what he would do with his son. And, like, look, I'm not here to judge. But, like, I've never heard of a dude, like, getting in the tub with his son. Oh. But, like, it's a...
0: Kelsey, oh, sure. Like, especially when you're a baby. I took showers with my dad. And I know other people who did, too. I, Yeah, I know. And I've, like, spent the day at friends' houses... And the, no, nothing creepy, but like, you know, when you're really, really young and like you have to take a bath with an adult, you know, like, and like you're, you take a bath with your friend and their mom is the one giving you the bath or whatever. Like, and I'm I, before you get creeped out, I'm not like 12 or anything like that. <laughs> like when you're four or something, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're still getting baths with adults for sure. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, it was weird. <laughs> And I think that Duplass does a magnificent job of just being so creepy, but at the same time benign.
0: Sure, yeah.
1: He makes sure to make himself seem vulnerable,
0: uh-huh.
1: but so creepy at the same time. It's very good. And you can see that they were trying to be funny at some point during this, but then they changed the tone. yeah. Same thing with the next thing with Peach Fuzz, the mask, which he claims later to have gotten at a 99 cent store. And I'm like, anyone who knows anything about masks knows that that mask would not... That mask is expensive. That is uh very expensive. But okay. He's going to do this whole song and dance with it. That's
2: Peach Fuzz. That's that's just Peach Fuzz. Say hello. So uh, Peach Fuzz is the friendly wolf. And uh, my dad created him. And he actually used to have this great... It's kind of song that Peach Fuzz sings for little kids. Hello, my name is Peach Fuzz. I might look like I eat you up. But I'm as friendly as a rabbit. And I'd make a very good friend. Peach Fuzz, I am here. And there's nothing. (sighs) What do you think, buddy? That's Peach Fuzz. Say hi.
1: And then he's going to later, like, attack Aaron wearing it. And it's just, it's very good. And he does a great, great, great job of being very creepy.
0: Right. It's, it's just, it's the most, like, outwardly we're trying to be creepy you know, by having a monster mask in it, but it's still just a dude under that mask and you know the dude, but it's weird how that dude, who you already know, putting on that mask does have like a, a, an almost measurable effect at increasing the creepiness factor.
1: Here's my problem with it, because uh-huh. this leads to a couple of questions. Now, it yeah. could very easily be explained away, but they don't, so it leaves me with questions. Does that mask actually belong to Duplass or to the house? Right. If it belongs, I wondered that, too. If it belongs to the house, then the person who rented out the house would absolutely be like, what the fuck? I want my mask back because, the, like I said, that thing did not cost a dollar. Right. Um, well, they
0: probably wouldn't even notice, though. It's in a fucking vacation home in a closet somewhere. They probably wouldn't even notice. I don't know. But who would they go to? He He got it under a fake name. He rented it under a fake fake identity.
1: I suppose. But if it is his, did he mean for Aaron to find it? Like, Aaron finds it randomly.
0: Right. And then he tells him the story. So if Aaron never found it, what would have, would the first time that we see it be when he wears it later? He just wears, wears it, it and attacks him? Yeah, uh-huh.
1: So, questions. He takes him on a hike.
0: Yeah, to these supposedly healing waters.
1: Yeah, and while they're on this hike, uh, there's a couple of things that happen. Like He asks him if he has anyone like that he can be super, or that he, someone that he has to like make peace with. And he's like, well, I have an ex. To which he says, what? And he goes, I have an ex. He goes, oh, I thought you said an axe.
0: Oh, and yeah. Uh-huh. He goes,
1: no. And he goes, I have an axe. And he's just like... Yeah, like, it's weird that you're bringing that up. Um, And he's like, were you afraid I was going to kill you with it? He's like, a little bit. I'll
0: tell you something that's a little creepy about the axe, though. That's kind of a subtle difference is it is a sparkling clean new axe. And you know, that's because they just bought an axe for the movie. Right. But an axe was out there. Embedded into that stump. If it had been used, why was it so clean? So, why was it prepared and put out there in that stump if it wasn't used? Like, it makes you ask questions like that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. This also leads to questions because he's like, oh, it's the magical waters of the heart or whatever. And then they actually find a heart. In so where did he
0: hear about opening, this? Yeah,
1: like, did he just know about it?
0: And if he keeps going out, to, this is all taking place, by the way, in Crestline. Um, oh, yes,
1: which we have been to Oh well, yeah, times. We, have, we have
0: a friend who, who used to live out there.
1: Very exciting. So I was like, this looks very familiar. Yeah.
0: And God, you'd be surprised how cheap it is to live out there. Because, because if you want to do anything, you have to drive down the hill. And you have to make that mountain drive every, every morning and every night. Every day. To go get groceries. And it's rough. But it's so beautiful, and...
1: Gorgeous. Yeah.
0: Lake Arrowhead's right there. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's beautiful. Lake Gregory, it's a pretty great place. But yeah, it's it's surprisingly cheap because it's terribly inconvenient. <laughs> but anyway, like, if he just rents a bunch of Airbnbs out there, like, that's just more opportunities to find him, as Henry might say. You don't do the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. So how either he goes out there all the time... To know that that place is there, in which case he's doing the same thing over and over again and it's more likely that he gets caught, or he doesn't normally go out there, and why would he know about this place? I don't know. The internet, maybe? Who knows? But he seemed to be able to find it, you know, because he tells a story about how, like, oh, we're just letting fate take over and we're just going down these random paths And then we eventually just stumble upon it because it's the great healing waters drawing us towards them. You know, like, okay, but of course that story's bullshit. So (laughs) did he really know where he was going? And how did he know that area so well? Mm -hmm. Um, And plus they set up that it's supposed to be creepy that now they're, they're lost. And this guy doesn't seem to care, but Aaron's obviously worried about it. And then he splashes in the water, and there's something about just the story of it all that makes him feel more carefree, right? Like, I don't well, think the movie's also, saying that it's magical waters, but like he he's buying into the myth, right?
1: He, he also knows where the restaurant is, right there, right? No,
0: that's my point. So he knows exactly where they are, and they just it's diffuse. Like he just, maybe that he just did his right research away.
1: about the area for the for the whole experience. Right. I imagine that this has got to be what he lives for. But you know?
0: there's the buildup of the creepiness of oh oh no, they don't know where they are, and right. then there's zero payoff on that. Right. At no point do they actually feel like shit. We're lost because mm-hmm. the one time he mentions it, Joseph is just like, "No, we're still headed there," and it's just completely waved away. Then, when it's like, okay, we're there, but now we got to get back. How do we get back? Oh, I know exactly where we are and I know where this diner is. So, like,
1: but and when then they get,
0: immediately transport there.
1: But when they get to the diner, it's the first real big hint that he's been lying to him.
0: Right. Because of the he menu. Said,
1: he said, oh, they've got the best pancakes ever. And then when they get there, he's like, I wonder what's good here. And he's yeah, like, uh-huh. isn't it the pancakes? <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah. Well, oh, right we'll changed yeah, the course. menu. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, Oh, no. And he does admit, like, you know, I've lied. He does admit it a couple times. Like, I've lied about this. I've lied about that. And it's always a manipulation to get uh, Aaron back on his side. Yeah. It's once he's, like, lost his trust, he's like, you know what? You're right. I have lied to you. But it's like, now that I've given you the truth, you're back on my side. And it's like, no, that just means that you've lied to me more than once.
0: Right. Oh, we didn't mention that he does carve J plus A in a heart. On the Rock, when Joseph has the camera filming Aaron in the pool, the natural pool, which is, you know, a sort of nod to what's going to come later. You're just thinking this guy is overly affectionate to another dude, not in a way that's like, oh, is he is he gay? But Aaron's no. not gay. No, it's like
1: I actually too love much
0: too fast.
1: I love that there's nothing sexual about this right. at
0: all. But I don't think the movie's trying to imply that it would be creepy if he was gay. I think even if he was gay, they met a couple hours ago, and he's already carving J plus A into the rock Mm -hmm. in a heart. Like, that's creepy if you're gay or not. Mm -hmm. So it's it's not like a homophobia thing.
1: So they get back to the house after this long excursion, and it's late. And Aaron is like, all right, I'm ready to go, because this is after he's... This is after he's found out about him taking pictures before he came in. This is after he's yeah. talked about peeing his pants and he's like, I'm good, I'm good to go. you know and besides which, remember everybody, it was only supposed to be a eight hours. But of course, Aaron being the nice guy that he is, gets talked into having a drink with Joseph.. Mm-hmm. And then while they are having their drink, Joseph tells him a story about like a rape. Sex moment with his wife that they both enjoyed. And that yeah. is when Aaron is like, I gotta go. Aaron? Yeah?
2: Did I freak you out with my rape story?
1: And then Joseph is like, Oh, but you're too drunk to drive. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. You should just stay here. So that's when Aaron is like, All right, I'm gonna drug you. And he does. And it's a good move.
0: Well, yeah, so first he's looking for his keys and can't find him. And Joseph is like, well, hey, listen, you just stay here tonight. There's plenty of space in the morning. It'll be all lit up. You'll be able to drive safe and find your keys with all the natural light in here. And it'll be totally fine. And Aaron seemingly agrees to that. And is like, okay, well, then we might as well get trashed. And then he drugs him. Yeah.
1: While that's happening... Aaron is trying to find his keys. He thinks Joseph must have them on him. But when he goes to look in his pockets, he instead finds his phone, which immediately rings. Yeah. And it is a woman who claims to be his sister and that he might be in danger and that he and Aaron needs to get out of there.
0: Angela was the name that Joseph gave for his wife. So uh, originally he thinks he's talking to his wife. Yeah, I'm up here filming at the cabin. And she's like, okay, here's what you need to do. (gasps) Hello.
2: sit there, please. He's.
1: he's sleeping. I'm sorry, who is this? Aaron! Your husband hired me. What? Your husband
2: hired me to film him. For the cancer.
1: Um. Where are you right now, Aaron?
2: Working house in Grassline. You're where?
1: Uh, okay, never mind. And that you go ahead and just leave. Right now. What the fuck's going on? Nothing. You just go ahead and exit the house. You will be fine. Wait, I'm trying to leave. I can't find my fucking car keys. Okay, that's okay. Just give me the address of where you are and then just walk out of there right now. Just keep walking, okay? My brother has problems. Opens up a whole other box of worms.
0: Why would he still be having conversations with his sister if he's on all these murdering sprees? Does does she know know? about it?
1: Like, is she not doing anything about it?
0: And if she knows and it's a big issue and she's aware, like, is she just continuing to have conversations with him?
1: Yes. I mean, and, you know, this- this Why would she have been calling him? This is another likeness to- Movies like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer and movies like Man Bites Dog. There are always people in their lives who know exactly what they're doing uh-huh. and don't do anything about it. And it's it's either a fascination or it's a friendship or it's a, it's a sibling. Mm-hmm. You know, like they always have some sort of relationship with other people. And I think that that's an important thing because all serial killers do
0: do well yeah but the reason they have these relationships is because the people that they have the relationships with don't know what they're doing
1: I, and these I think these movies are implying that they do I think these movies are implying I think these but movies, I mean Angela
0: knows something she knows that he is in danger right now
1: I think these movies are on the side of they all know and they all look the other way because they don't want it to be true and I think that's a oh, fucked side I don't to take. think that's
0: what Angela's doing But I I think the problem is, is that Angela doesn't make any sense because I don't believe. I don't believe that she turns the other cheek. I think she's trying to get in contact with him because she's worried about him. But yeah, in order to escalate the fear element, she needs to tell him, no, you it's a third party telling you, no, this is dangerous. And not just one of his friends saying this seems creepy. It's somebody who knows Joseph. But yeah, you get all these new questions now. If she knows that he's in danger, how much does she know? And if she knows, why is she randomly calling him? Because she called her brother. Is she going to have just a casual conversation with him? Is she looking for him? And if she's looking for him, does that mean that there's a place where he normally would be? And if there's a place he normally would be, how does he accomplish all these other Murders that we know he's done. Mm -hmm. And so it just leads to a bunch of questions. Mm -hmm. Which maybe they're answered in Creep too. Because my question is, how do you make a sequel to this? And make it interesting. Like, yeah, you could just do another one of these kills. That wouldn't be interesting. So how do you make a sequel?
1: They would need to delve into that relationship, definitely.
0: Probably, yeah.
1: Although, from what I saw, isn't Aaron in the sequel? And I'm like, no, that doesn't make sense. Oh, is Aaron
0: in the sequel? Oh, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, Joseph's in the sequel. Well, of
1: course. But anyway, he tries to escape, but Joseph is dressed up in peach fuzz and attacks him. Yeah, it's
0: this great moment where Joseph scares him when he goes back out when the call fails. He's not there on the mantle or whatever that he's on. um,
1: Where he should be passed out. Where he
0: should be passed out. And so he goes outside because the, the sliding glass door to the outside is cracked and he looks and he's not there. And then all of a sudden he is. Death. Ah!
2: It's coming. There's nothing we can do. I don't want to die, Aaron. I don't want to... I don't want to die. Oh, Aaron. Oh, Aaron. Oh. I know. I know you know. I love you. You're such a good friend. I love you so much. (laughs) Joseph. (laughs) I know. I know you know. (laughs) Joseph. I know what's going on here. I know you're troubled. Willing to help. Look, I'm not angry. So just give me my keys and we'll we'll take it from there. Talk to Angela.
0: (laughs) And then Joseph just boom, just darts away. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? And, he, and so when Aaron goes to follow him, like looking around every corner, where is he? He sees him standing at the front door wearing the peach fuzz mask. And then he starts like gyrating <laughs> and growling <laughs> and then attacks.
1: Yes. Yeah. And you're led to think that he might have died there, but he didn't.
0: Yeah. He wakes up and he is home.
1: But we don't see that until after we watch a video of Duplass. Oh
0: yeah, burying something. Burying yes, something. It's obviously. A what body. a great transition! It's a great transition. That's a really good sort of like, haha. You know.
1: <laughs> you think that it's him burying Aaron, but it's yeah. not. Uh huh. Aaron is watching this video, and he's like, "I'm a little disconcerted that he knows my address." <laughs> yes, I, I, I'm a little
0: bit in disbelief that he wouldn't film his his ride home. Like, oh, my God, this just happened. You know what I mean? Because he drove home.
1: Yeah, like, I'm left wondering what the fuck happened there. I'm left wondering why he didn't go to the cops right after that. Right. He goes to the cops and, like, gives them practically no information and just accepts when they're just like, no, we can't do anything. It's like, I have an entire video of this man.
0: Right. I say immediately, why wouldn't you send the footage to the police? Didn't you have his phone? Because the last thing we saw, he had his phone. Yes, they get into an altercation, but obviously Aaron succeeds enough to get away. Wouldn't he still have his phone? Can't you give that to the police? Mm -hmm. But no, he doesn't go to the police until he gets this video. And at which point he just sort of calls him and says, there's this creepy guy. I don't know who he is. I don't know anything about him. Can't you do something? And they're like... No, you gave us nothing. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, fuck you then. You know, like, well, big help you are. And it's like, well, what do you expect them to do? Although they, I, what I expect them to do is to watch your house. You have a credible threat. Send somebody to watch your house.
1: Yeah, it's it's a little ridiculous. Right. And that leads into a stupid scene about, where he talks about this ridiculous dream that he has. And I'm like... Okay, yeah, this was an element of the comedy that was, this no longer helps the story, so this should have been taken out.
0: I will say, I'm just looking up the cast list right now, Patrick Bryce is listed as Old Aaron in the mm. sequel. So I don't know if that's old as in he aged, or it's footage of him from the past.
1: Mm, maybe. He gets sent a CD with a wolf inside and a knife, and he's told in by the video of, Joseph that he needs to rip open the wolf.
0: Yeah, because killing something reveals something beautiful inside or whatever which is scary. Here's a question for you, Kelsey. Would you dig deeper in the box? Would you press pause and dig deeper in the box? Because he says, pause this now and find the third thing in the box and Aaron does. He pauses it and go, like, would you do that or would you continue watching? I would wait to see what he says next. Right! I wouldn't let him surprise- I wouldn't give him the benefit of surprising me with what's in the box. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't be exciting to me. No. Wait till hear what he says. <laughs> and he tells the story about loving wolves and opening- it. Yeah. And so what's inside the wolf, Kelsey?
1: A locket with J plus A forever. And
0: their faces.
1: Yes. Which he immediately throws away, and that's when he calls the cops and is useless. Yeah. He gets another video- and it's Duplass and he's like, I'm really sad that you would throw this away.
0: Right, because he found it in the trash. Uh, there, yeah, because there is a moment when he's – Aaron keeps waking up in the middle of the night to describe the nightmares he's having. Right? And I'm, I wrote down, I'm just waiting for Joseph to be there in the background one of these times. Because it's not like he turns the lights on or whatever. And he really isn't.
1: No, Duplos films him in the night.
0: Right. So, like, and there's one moment where he wakes up, and he films the thing, and then he hears a noise, and then he moves the camera, and he goes searching around the house, and we see him outside. Yes. And then he's just standing there, and then when Aaron comes back, he, like, quickly ducks out and hides, and there's something real about that, and and frightening. And then he goes to the back, and he sees the trash cans knocked over, and he says, fucking raccoons. And he just goes back to bed, not realizing that Joseph was actually there and then we find out later that he did in fact dig through his trash mm-hmm. to find the things that he threw away. But yeah, the next clip we get is him cutting a lock of his hair off. So here's a question. Kelsey, do you think I would sleep through something like that? Yes. You think I would?
1: You're weird. Sometimes you wake up at the drop of a pin, but that's really really rare. Uh-huh. Uh I've jumped on you and you have not woken up. <laughs> in so yes, no, I believe that you I sleep deeply.
2: Do this. <laughs>
0: And so, yeah, he sends this new video and says, I'm really bummed, but, you know, I get it. And he tells him, here's the truth. And it's, it's very good acting on Mark Duplass's part.
2: And you threw it away. And, and when I found it in your trash can, I, I, I got my heart broken. And, and if I'm honest, it, it sent me into a little spiral. And, and I had some inappropriate and wrong thoughts about what I wanted to do to you. And to myself, honestly, um, and that was a red flag, and it scared me. And I, I thought a lot about it, and and I realized something, and it's that you were right. You know, you were right to throw that away, because we're not friends. Our whole relationship is based on bullshit and lies that that I made up, and and and. I'm sorry about that and and I wanna be done with it and that's why I'm talking to you today, okay? This is my attempt to be real and truthful and honest with you. And I'm not sure I'm capable of it, but, but I'm gonna try, okay, to explain to you the truth. And the truth is, I, is I don't know this is hard to talk about you know I I don't know what's wrong with me I've always done this I've 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 been pretending my my whole life and it's led me to a terrible place I don't have any friends I've burned every bridge my sisters my parents I have nothing and I need somebody to talk to the truth is I am a lonely person and I'm a sad person, and I really need a friend, and you're the only chance that I have.
1: The first time I saw it, I felt the same way I feel now. Would you go? No. No. <laughs> At the very least? guy you in your sleep after you changed your locks, and he went through your trash, and he found you, your address right. in the first place, and he attacked you, even though we don't know what he did to you. No. I would at the very least call not call the police. I, at the
0: very least I would not stay in my house alone. And then even probably more than that I wouldn't stay at my house at all. Yeah. And then I would consider fucking moving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like, it's insane that he even goes. But again, Aaron is a benefit of the doubt person. And I have been in relationships where it's like I continue to give these friends chance after chance after chance. And I can name multiple people right now where, where that is the case until eventually it's just like, no, I'm not even going to fucking respond. I don't owe them a response. I don't owe them anything. And at a certain point, you need to realize that. Just cut them out of your life. And you don't even owe them an explanation for why you cut them out of your life. Because if you give them that, they'll latch on again. And so just the reality is sometimes you need to do that with certain people. And he goes. And on top of that, he turns his back to him. And Joseph mentions that. It's because you're a good person.
2: Why didn't you at least look behind you? I mean, it just seemed that you would just sit there. And then I realized why you didn't turn around. It's because you're the greatest person that's ever lived, Aaron. No matter what I did to you, you believed I was good and I would do you no harm. And that is why I will always love you and why you will always be my favorite of them all.
0: Why would you turn your back?
1: It's not that he turned his back. He was just sitting at a bench. The yeah, question. looking out
0: at the water. But where Joseph was going to come from was behind him. He wasn't there yet and he was going to eventually show up. Why you wouldn't like be aware of your surroundings? Why you wouldn't stay in your car until he shows up?
1: Well, the problem is, is that at one point he actually did look back. It's because somebody is using a chainsaw somewhere in the background. That I
0: appreciated. That's why he doesn't hear everything. But
1: how does he not see him when he's looking back? That's my problem. Where the fuck is he that he can't see him?
0: Well, he's hiding at some point. I mean, we see later. him
1: filming him, but like he's super far away. And I'm like, okay, I don't think that he was gone. I, I don't think that there was that long between when he turned and looked at the chainsaw and... To when Duplass showed up.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a great moment where he shows up in a trench coat.
1: And and Aaron is just looking
0: out at the lake. Yeah, he pulls out the mask, peach fuzz, puts the mask on. And then he whips back the trench coat like he's in a Western, about to have a duel, and pulls out the axe. And it's a great moment when he, like, is walking with it, and then he lifts it, and then he switches hands, and then he lifts it up high and just all of a sudden just embeds it in the top of Aaron's head, killing him. Mm-hmm. And then he walks to his car and we hear – we're watching all of this from Joseph's perspective. He's recording something later after the fact. And he has a commentary about how – this is where he's talking about how much of a good person he is and he's his favorite
1: you might be wondering, how does the person with the chainsaw not see any of this? Yeah, I wondered that too. It's
0: out in the complete and utter open. Yeah. And just the brazenness of it. We talked about the brazenness of Henry, but that's like in the inner city Chicago in the middle of the night under a bridge. Like, yeah, okay, fine. This is out in the middle of the day at a beautiful lake where you know somebody actively is because they're people chainsawing something. Mm -hmm. And just out in the open Mm -hmm. and nobody sees. I guess he's out of there in enough time.
1: But he's not. He takes his time. Yeah, he really does. It's not believable.
0: And then we get this really cheesy jump scare Joseph is telling the story about what he thinks about Aaron and he's like talking directly to Aaron even though he's dead. Um you know about how you're my favorite because you're so nice. Oh,
1: he does it to himself.
0: Yeah. Well, but he kind of does both. It it kind of shows the insanity of Joseph where he he jump scares
1: into the camera.
0: Well, he jump scares Aaron's camera that he was filming of that moment and then that causes he turns the camera immediately onto himself and then also screams in the same way and it's like Okay, so is he duplicating that? Why would he be jump-scaring the camera the first time? Why would he be jump-scaring the camera the second time? It's just like, oh, isn't he insane sort of moment, and a cheap jump-scare to the audience. It's probably the worst scare in the movie, I would say. There aren't a lot of scares. This is more about a creeping dread than it is about a jump-scare. We
1: did get a couple where he legitimately tries to. Well, yeah, like
0: at the car, but that's a fun, legitimate one where you might go ah, and then ha ha ha. Like that, this one isn't fun. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it is.
1: But we get to see that Joseph has done this many times.
0: I think you see the names of like thirty-five different people, and then there are a bunch where the names aren't visible.
1: He immediately gets a call about his latest. Uh huh. Uh, ad in the newspaper and he says his name is bill yes so he's gonna do it all over again
0: and there are there are deleted scenes of course like i said there's tons of content but there are a couple of deleted scenes like there's a cold open that we didn't get in the movie of him killing somebody else who's lost in the woods like come on man this is funny are you there very similar to when they were hiking and joseph just ran off and aaron's like where are you buddy except this is the middle of the night And then he gets attacked by something that you can't see clearly. But if you pause it, you know you're going to see Peach Fuzz's face, right? Um, Which implies that he's had this. He brought it to this Airbnb. But we didn't get that. And I'm glad that we didn't get that. Because I think a lot of the brilliance of watching this movie for the first time is that you don't know exactly what's going on. And Mm -hmm. I think this would be just as effective if Aaron wasn't murdered or you don't know if he was murdered. Which is why I really like... One of the deleted endings. So there are two alternate endings. One is Joseph is at the bench when Aaron shows up. Aaron walks out to him, sits down next to him, and they talk. And that's the end of the movie, which I kind of like. I would oh, it's have okay. liked that better. Yeah. No, what I like even better is we get basically everything that we got before, except instead of embedding the axe into his skull, he lifts it up and then reaches out to tap his shoulder. And so you don't know—is he gonna kill him? He just wants to see him, wants to scare him first, or is this just him fucking with him? <laughs> Which I also kind of like. And I think if we didn't see that he killed all those other people, and we just got the tap on the shoulder, that uncertainty I think would have been much better. I think that was the better ending that they should have left.
1: That would have been a in good the ending. movie. Yeah.
0: Um. So in a way, I feel like we got the worst—the worst ending. The first alternate ending is maybe a little bit too cheery. And it kind of diffuses all the tension. I like the second alternate ending where you get the uncertainty. You don't get the diffused tension. It just leaves you. You get no release. Mm -hmm. And there's something awesome about that. And I kind of wish that was the actual ending. Is there anything else you want to say about Creep, Kelsey?
1: I think Duplass does an excellent job. Yes. I think he's so creepy.
0: Yes. Bryce is definitely the weak link, Aaron. In this, but I mean, he's good in terms of his direction, I would say, but his acting isn't that great, which is fine for the most part when he's not in front of the camera. Right. But he's in front of the camera several times, and it's not that good. But, you know, whatever. It's just a movie that two guys made for practically zero budget, and they got, like, one person to provide a voice at one point. And so, like, that's really fucking impressive. Mm -hmm. They made something really, really cool. Uh, on fewer resources than the Blair Witch Project had, you know, and it's just something they felt like they wanted and to less do. Less
1: screaming, yeah, oh God, and less yeah, repetition. Uh-huh.
0: yeah. And I think it's a really good addition to the found footage sort of subgenre mm-hmm. of horror. Definitely, definitely worth it. I'm glad I saw it, despite the fact that it has, you know, questions that kind of hurt the film. I don't. I mean, no film's perfect, mm-hmm. and I think still at the end of it, it comes out being a pretty. Fun time. So what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes, Kelsey? I think I know. What do you know?
1: Isn't it 91? It's 90. 90.
0: A smart oddball take on found footage horror. Creep is clever and well acted enough to keep viewers on the edges of their seats. It has a Metacritic of 74. So it has a slightly higher Rotten Tomatoes uh, just by one point. But it has a six-point lower Metacritic. So slightly more people said they liked it, but they didn't like it as much as Henry. Do you think that's overrated or underrated?
1: Maybe it's just slightly overrated? Yes. I'm going to give it an 89, just like I gave Henry.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: I think that this only suffers a little bit from a little bit less good of acting on...
0: Yeah, it's Aaron not Clark. as much of a showcase for acting. You only get the one guy who's like really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and I think that there were like there were a couple scenes that, like you said, could have been edited.
0: Yeah,
1: I think the ending could have been better. Mm-hmm. There were a couple questions, but yeah, I think it's very good. So eighty nine.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little bit lower than that. I think I'm gonna do eighty four. Okay. I mean, this is in the '80s. It's still fantastic movie. Um, But I think, yeah, it does hurt by not having the good ending and all those questions that I have. I just think it's much, much more interesting not knowing exactly what's going to happen. You know, and also it would make more sense if he wasn't killing people or we didn't know he was killing people that Angela is like, you need to get out of there because I don't know what he's going to do. You know, so. Yeah, I'll give it an 84. Still fantastic movie. Just I don't think it's as good. It's quite the achievement that Henry was. Um, Still really, really cool on practically no budget and with only two people, just some friends making a movie together. Like, that's awesome, which is why I do not accept for all these cheesy B movies that are B movies on purpose because it's just people making a movie, man, like Thanksgiving (laughs) or whatever. They're just having fun. Like, this is the kind of movie you can get from a couple of friends having fun. Mm-hmm. I will not accept Thanksgiving as, you know, <laughs> what? They're just having fun. I don't know why Thanksgiving is the one that I go to for that, but whatever. Anyway, Kelsey, that is this week. Thank you to our patrons for selecting this. There are a bunch of other combinations that we could have done and that we will most likely get to in the future. But what are we watching next week, Kelsey?
1: Well, it's been a while since we've done kids' horror.
0: Yep, it's October coming up, so we're around that time of year.
1: And we're about to do a discussion about kids' horror on our patrons-only page. Right,
0: so make sure you are signed up on Patreon. There'll be an, Our next episode is going to be all about kids' horror.
1: And there's a movie that we have not seen, and we haven't done a double feature in a long time. We haven't. So we're going to do a double feature of The Addams Family. da Da-na-na-na.
0: Okay, let's stop there. <laughs> uh, yes, Adam's Family from uh, 1991 and 2019. A double feature. The late night double feature,
1: feature show.
0: Loved, loved, loved the Adam's Family movies. Uh, I love the the cartoon.
1: I love the TV show. And I mean like the, when I say cartoon, I mean the comic. I love the TV show. Well, I watched the the cartoon. I never watched the cartoon.
0: I have one of the cartoons on VHS here in this
1: house. I love the 60s black and white show. I love the Uh comic strip. And I loved the movies.
0: Right, which is why I'm excited for the new one, because it looks like the original comic strips.
1: Here we go with the the Adams Family.
0: Yeah, awesome. So that is next week. Until then, you can find us on our website, podcemetery.com, and on Twitter, at PodCemetery, and, of course, on Patreon, at patreon.com slash podcemetery, where we just posted an episode about our trip to a local horror convention, and where we will be posting our next episode all about children's and family horror movies, and what constitutes... Like just a kid's adventure that's scary from actually kid's horror. Don't forget to subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there. But bigger than that is sharing us with your friends. And even bigger than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris.
1: I've been Kelsey. And this
0: has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words?
1: Guns are easy to get.
0: she would be quiet.